Welcome to the Hope Revolution messages. You'll be able to find our sermon podcast at hoperevolution.church forward slash sermon, as well as all other podcast players. We hope you enjoy this message. I need some help because when I was at school, there were some things that were the cool things that everybody wanted to do at school. Yo-yos was one thing that was cool. They did. I assume you know what a yo-yo is. I assume you also know what a skipping rope is. But when I was at school, skipping ropes weren't just something that an individual did. You did it together. And there was this special technique that you had to go like this. Did everyone have to do that when they were at school? So you had to, and then jump in the rope and people would go around. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys heard of that? Yeah, yeah, not too old. What about elastics? Have you heard of elastics? Yeah, when I was at school, that was huge. Now, no boy came to school with elastics, but you were allowed to play elastics, which was maybe some schools the boys weren't allowed to play. No? What was the word you had to say? England, Ireland, something in France? Scotland, Wales. Puppy dog tail, yes! What I'd love to know is what's happening at school now. And the older kids, I don't want to hear about vaping. But... But I want to know what's happening at school. What, what's, what's the thing that everybody wants to do? Sleep. Sleep. I know when Daniel was in primary school, it was Beyblades. Yeah, does anyone remember Beyblades? It still happens. Beyblades are... Th- yeah, yeah, yeah. I've known from a bunch of kids Pokemon cards. Yeah. What's everyone want to do at your school? Two Square. That's so... I love Two Square. Yep. Now tell me. There's two different ways. There's the basketball style two square or the little ball two square. Little ball, yeah, okay, okay. See, at my school, when I was in primary school, it was the basketball. Yeah, weird. I didn't realize that until until I discovered that other kids thought that was weird. But it was cool at my school to play with a basketball. Two square, anything else? What else does everyone want to do? Basketball, yeah, yeah, that's good. Why does everyone want to do the same thing? And this is not just for kids, everybody. Why does everyone want to do the same thing? Sorry? To fit in? To feel part of something? But it's also good, isn't it? Like, who has fond memories of these things? Who's excited by... I had a Sprite yo-yo, and that was a good one, right? You had to have a Fanta, a Sprite, or a Coca-Cola one. Now, obviously, they did their marketing really well, but they were the ones to have. And you couldn't, like, you could have anyone, but they were the good ones. But it was fun. And the reason you wanted one of those, because they were actually really good yo-yos that worked really well. And you could do tricks with them. You do it because it's good and it's fun. And you want to come to school and tell other people because, A, you want to fit in, but B, because it's good and it's fun and you want to do it together. Is that fair? You play, play two square because it's fun. You don't like two square. Basketball? What do you like doing at school then? Wow. I didn't expect that. That's great. Cheerleading. Do you know other people that like cheerleading? Heidi. Heidi. And so you do it together, don't you? Now, where did you find out about Cheerleading. At cheerleading, but before you went to cheerleading, how did you know that it even existed? 
Your sister did it. So someone told you about it. Let me guess, your sister enjoyed doing it, yeah? And so she told you about it because she thought it was fantastic. Go, Ella. Well done. Sharing something that's great. There's obviously a reason, and you might have worked it out why I'm talking about this. Because we're doing this series that in some ways is so big, it feels generic. Being inspired by God. Like that just, that's just sort of a big fluffy something. And yet, what I've been trying to help us understand is I believe God really wants to communicate to us, not about big ideas for the sake of their own value, but because they're actually foundational. They're actually really solid, important things that we build on. And they're things that are exciting and good. I started the first week talking about God's purpose. From the beginning of creation, he had a good plan. He had a good purpose. And our response to that is to repent. Because when God has a good plan or purpose and we're not aligned with it, we're on the wrong page. And so it makes sense that we repent when we're not in line with the purpose. So if we're not in line with a good purpose, what do you do? You get in line with a good purpose. It makes sense. Repentance is a gift that we do when we respond to God's purpose. We then went on to talk about God's passion and the fact that he's not mucking around, but he has invested. He is so committed to this purpose. And the response to that is what the Christianese word is ministry. Now, ministry is just a, the idea of connecting with God and with his spirit to break the things that are holding us back, the things that we might be worshipping or we might be, might be driving us that aren't God. And so we come to this place of saying, God, I need you to do a work in my heart. My heart which is compromised, my mind which is distracted by other things, I need you to actually come and renew in me a heart for you. Restore the passion for your things. And then last week we were heading on to God's practice, but we only started at the first part of that. And I really had a sense that God wanted us to stop at this place of integrity. It is absolutely part of God's practice. Integrity is an essential core part of his practice. It's not just an idea, it's how he operates, it's how he practices in the world, how he functions, how he acts, is with integrity. Because the gospel has no credibility without integrity. And the response last week was to reconnect in intimacy with God. And we've sort of, Sam's taken us through that beautifully this morning in the first part of communion where we paused and we stopped and we 
communed with God, we connected in unity with God in a place of vulnerability and realigning us with his truth and his integrity that sometimes is a bit exposing. But it's a beautiful place again and it's a gift. Now this week, as I've alluded to, talking about fads at school and things we get excited about at school, we're looking at God's practice part two, which is the rest of the idea of action of God. God's got an idea and is passionate about it, but he's actually executing it. He's, he's putting it into practice. Now, we often get stuck at this point. And I, I find myself frequently just catching thoughts. I don't have enough of a grasp of your plan, God. I don't understand it enough. Lord, I don't, don't have enough passion. Lord, my integrity is not perfect. And we come to this point of going, I don't know what to do. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, so I pause before I act. I stop. We, we hit, it's almost like a brick wall. That the first three we can comprehend, but when it comes to action, we stop and go, hang on. That's risky. I'm not maybe ready for that. I don't have it all together. I know enough about the first three to know I'm not actually ready to put it into practice. And this is a, a complete flaw in our thinking because that is not how God operates. He doesn't practice when everything is all put together. The Bible says it was while we were sinners that Jesus was sent. The idea is, and his, his practice with his disciples, was to grab 12 guys that were likely most of them very uneducated people. They weren't, they weren't elite, qualified, experienced people. And he brought them together with no training and said, follow me. Because being a Jesus follower is an apprenticeship, not a degree. We often get stuck in this mindset of saying, I've got to be qualified before I can practice. And if you're training to be a doctor, that's a good thing. If you're training to be an engineer, that's a good thing. I don't want to be driving on bridges designed by somebody who's given it a crack for the first time. But if you're training to be a Jesus follower, you're missing out on the practice the way God set things up. The way he sets things up is on-the-job training. And in fact, it gets more significant than that because if you're not practicing, you will not understand the plan, the passion, and the integrity. You have to be in a, put yourself in a position to give it a crack for those things to sink in. And you see this beautifully with Jesus' disciples because 
They journeyed with him. They lived in community together. They, they, they supported and served him in ministry. And then he sends them out to imitate, to do the same. They go out in pairs. They take nothing with them. They're traveling light. And they go out to imitate what they'd been learning from him. And do you know what they came back with? Great stories and great questions. They didn't come back having it all together. They actually came back with good questions to ask him about how they can do this better. And we don't want to sit around contemplating eternally what it looks like to get it together because we'll never get there. If we look at Jesus' ministry, he did a bunch of things brilliantly, not surprisingly. And, and this is a map I've stolen from conformingtojesus.com. But this is a map of where Jesus did what he did, his ministry and locations of where he did it. Now, to give you a bit of a gauge, Bethlehem's at the bottom, Mount Hermon at the top. The distance is about the same as Inverloch to Mount Buller right? Or Mornington to Euroa. That's the sort of distance we're talking. Travelling on foot, right? Just, just, just digest this for a minute. Travelling on foot, he travelled from the equivalent to Jerusalem down here, Bethlehem down at Mornington, all the way up to Euroa. And the first thing we pick up from this is he took initiative. Jesus initiated. He didn't set himself up as a, as a business in a town, healing people and waiting for people to come to him. Part of his practice was to go. Part of his practice was to move. Part of his practice was to actually go around and initiate his ministry. And it's pretty obvious that he, he initiated a lot. Often he would go to synagogues, but he found himself in homes, he found himself on streets, he found himself on lakes, he found himself on boats. There's so many different locations, mountains, that he went to. He actually went, he initiated as part of his practice. The next thing we notice is he had an impact. Because when Jesus went somewhere, people knew he was there. And his impact, the impact that he had was significant, it was life-changing, it was transforming. Look at all the different things that he did at different places. He clearly had a pretty significant ministry in Capernaum there. But look around. He raises Lazarus down in Bethany to healing a Canaanite woman's daughter in Tyre up the top there, feeding 4,000 in the Decapolis, another... 5,000 in Genesaret, like he was a man that had an impact. He made a difference. 
And the last thing that this doesn't actually show, but is equally significant, is that wherever he went, there was invitation. Sometimes what he communicated wasn't very inviting and followers left him. But he had hundreds of people following him. We know that he called the 12 as his disciples, but he actually had followers. He had people that were committed to following him. He invited them to participate. He invited them and shared about the kingdom of God. He invited them to experience the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The the gospels use both words interchangeably. If you hear the phrase kingdom of heaven, it's the same as the kingdom of God. Um, It depends on who's saying it, but they're meaning the same thing. Can anyone think of a parable that Jesus told about the kingdom of God? What's what's, what's a parable? The, The parable of pearls. Yep, another one. There's plenty of them. The lost sheep, yep. What was that? Lost coin. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding banquet. Lost coin. Treasure in a field. Yeast. There's a lot of stories. They all pretty much have two commonalities. The yeast one doesn't quite, but they all have two commonalities. One, there is something of great value. There is something that's significant, whether it's a wedding banquet or a coin or a pearl or a harvest from a a field. There's something that is of significant value. And the other part is there's people passionately pursuing it. There seems to be these two parts of the picture, whether it's a farmer planting the field or a, a king inviting people to a wedding feast there there is a passionate investment in something of value that is what the kingdom of god looks like passionate investment into something valuable can anyone tell me what they think this is a tupperware party nineteen forty-six. A guy by the name of Earl Tupper, a chemical engineer, invents invents a plastic, a pretty special plastic, because you could shape it into lots of different shapes. You could colour it. It didn't smell. And it didn't poison your food. It was unheard of. And he went one step further and created a lid that no one had had before that sealed. It was genuinely a new invention. And he decided that he'd follow the two standard ways that you would sell a product. At the time, what you would do is you'd put it into a store and you'd have door-to-door salespeople that you'd pay commission. That's, that's how you'd sold things in those days and he did both of those things. And it didn't really take off. He, he sold some product, he did okay, wasn't that, 
wasn't that amazing, but it, it was a good small business. Until this lady decided that she was going to start her own business. Her name is Brownie Wise. And so she decided that she was going to be like the door-to-door salesperson. She was going to make a bit of money getting commission off Tupperware. And she started a business called Patio Parties. And so she created these parties where she would share this fantastic idea with people who it made a difference in. It was actually making a difference in the lives of the, of the women and they also loved connecting with each other, doing something that they already liked doing and discovering this product that was going to actually be very, very helpful and, and useful to them. She met them in their homes and shared with them this exciting new product. And she did it really well. And she sold lots of Tupperware to the point that Earl Tupper said, I've got to have you on my staff and employed her as vice president of marketing. Unheard of for a female to be doing at that time. Why? Wasn't just because she had a good product because Earl already had a good product. She was passionate. And she went. She took initiative. She made a difference. And then she was smart enough to invite people to do the same. In four years, she had 20,000 reps for Tupperware in the US alone. Four years 20,000 people signed up to be making Tupperware parties. And then the next level was they weren't even signed up. Like that was actually people that were signed up for commission and stuff. The next tier was a rampant, people will do it just to get a bit of free Tupperware, to get invited to Jubilee, I think they called it where they had an annual convention that you could win prizes and you could... And so people would go around selling Tupperware because they were so invested. It's a pretty exciting story, but it also makes me a little bit sad when a piece of plastic can draw so much attention and create so much passion and so much investment and initiative and, and I look at myself and go, wow, what does the gospel mean to you, Matt? When this church was first planted, it wasn't the first message, but was the second, third and fourth message. There was a foundation that was laid that was very significant and very important and it has been brought up since a number of times. Can anyone remember what the second, third and fourth message was about at this church when it started? Rubber hitting the row? No, that's a good guess. Hospital. Someone else give another one. Army. Army, hospital and... 
family. Church is a hospital, church is an army, and church is a family. And I want to use these three reference points, not to go into a lot of detail, but just to align them with Jesus' practice. Because we can do this. We have the capacity, we have the purpose, and we have the possibility to do something amazing with what God's given us if we're prepared to. So let's have a look, just very briefly, I just want to paint a picture. First of all, if you look at what Jesus did, if we look at hospital for a second, he sought out those in need. He looked for people in need. His initiative, he initiated going to places and finding people that needed help. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He actually sought out broken people. And it's not a surprise what the impact was there. He actually brought healing. Physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. Jesus says in Luke 7.22, Go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And his invitation was to know the healer, to believe and be baptized. There was an invitation to respond. The healing wasn't the conclusion. The healing was an impact that led to an invitation. John 8, 12 says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. What do all doctors and nurses commit themselves to? Not comfort. In some scenarios where people are terminal, yes, comfort is, is, is the, the best offering they have to, to give, but that's not their goal. If they have an opportunity to restore life, they're absolutely invested in that. Second column, army. What did Jesus initiate in this area? He said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The initiative was to share the gospel. Don't just sit on your bums. Share the gospel with those that don't know. Like an army on a mission. What was the impact? He said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. There is a battle going on. There is a spiritual battle going on and it's very real and Jesus is very invested in it. And he is building an army. An army of people who have an impact. 
and he's equipping those in his army. The invitation is to receive his Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is an invitation to be equipped for the battle. Family. John 17, 21 says, and this is Sam, referenced this before. I pray that they will be all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't really talk much about the family analogy. Paul, Peter, there's a lot of references to the family analogy, but Jesus didn't talk much about it, but the sentiment was absolutely there. He says, look, masters have servants, but I've given you what my father's given me, and so therefore, you're not servants, you're my friends. He absolutely valued, showed love, and was relationally connected with his followers. The impact? To grow in maturity. This is what families do. Some of you may like your cute little five-year-old, but you don't want them really to stay as a cute little five-year-old for the rest of their life. That's going to be crippling. The model of family says you actually want to grow to maturity, to fruitfulness. And as believers, we individually want to grow to maturity, but we also want others to grow to maturity. I've jokingly said, I think a lot of the church gets to being teenagers and then stops growing. Spiritual teenagers, overconfident, underexperienced, and a little bit unteachable. And we stop. Do you know the aim for you and I is to all be spiritual mothers and fathers? And if we're not spiritual mothers and fathers to people, we are not mature. And we have work to do. And that's a challenge because you go, okay, I might be a physical mum or dad, but am I a spiritual mum and dad? Am I cultivating children to grow in maturity spiritually? Because that is our goal. That is our aim. A teenage Christian is a bit selfish and thinks about themselves. But a mature Christian thinks about what they can invest and sow and multiply. Because that's what spiritual mums and dads do. An invitation is to be adopted into God's family. And, I, and I've cheated with these two because I've used Bible verses that refer to the body and family, which Jesus didn't actually say those words. But Galatians 4.7, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So tell me, what of these nine things are you incapable of starting, of giving a crack? Can I suggest none of them? 
Can I suggest God has actually designed us, strangely mind-blowing, he created us to be able to do these things because it was always his purpose. It was always his passion. It was always his practice for us to be able to do the things he's asked us to do. Every one of these nine things, and I don't care how old you are, I don't care how experienced you are, I don't care what qualifications you have, I believe God has equipped you to be able to do all nine of these things. The first week I talked about the one thing that God very generously gave us that is our Achilles heel. Do you remember what that was? Control, choice. God never takes our choices away from us. And it's the one thing that we stuff up. It's the one thing that distracts us from his plan is when we make choices for self over choices for God. And yet, the choice is ours today. The opportunity is fantastic. But I have to warn you, there's a risk. Every three of these themes can be looked at another way. We can look at family, and we do this sometimes, humanly speaking. It's exclusive. Family is those that I know and trust, that I'm familiar with. If it's not blood, it's not family. You know, there's that idea of family being an exclusive place. We can look at hospital and say, yeah, yeah, we need to be comfortable. We need to make sure that we have nice seats, we have good music, that we can, we can become a hospital that actually inhibits us. There is a risk with the hospital one also that we play the victim mentality. Do you remember what I said Jesus' impact was for the hospital? To bring healing. Are you healed? It's a really tough question to answer because the destination is healing. And if we're all sitting in the hospital beds waiting for someone to nurse us, like teenagers sometimes do in their beds or on the couch or whatever, I'm just, I think that teenage analogy is useful. And I'm really sorry to teenagers because I know a lot of teenagers that aren't like this. I'm talking about the stereotype, not talking about people in the room. Okay, I need to be clear about that. But there's this mindset that I need to be in the hospital bed, someone needs to serve me, someone needs to look after me, someone needs to meet my needs. Where are all the nurses and doctors? If you know anyone that works in the, in the medical industry, in hospitals, they have KPIs to get you out of that bed as quick as possible. That's how they're measured. They're measured on their success. And success is that you're well enough to go home. You're never meant to stay in the hospital bed. 
And sometimes people choose to stay in the hospital bed way too long. And they're not meant to be there. They're meant to be nurses and doctors helping other people in the hospital bed, but the beds are all full of people that shouldn't be there. This is really significant for us, and I believe God is stirring something in us as a community. He wants healing that produces great doctors and nurses, not half-baked healing that means you're stuck in a bed, taking up a spot that someone else desperately needs because they're really busted. We sometimes play the victim. And the last one is the army can be looked at a different way too. There's threats out there. Do you know there's crazy people? They're weird. They're different. They're not like me. Let's build big forts. Let's put the walls up. Let's keep them out. The kingdom of God is the opposite of those things. Family, who did Jesus hang out with? The losers, the ones that didn't fit into family, the ones that didn't have identity, the ones that didn't have social status. You know, we we talk about feminism being a modern movement. Jesus was well above the curve. He valued women way more than people in his society did. It was culturally inappropriate for him to value women the way he did. And we think we're smart and enlightened. It's a 2,000-year-old idea that we're just catching up with. That people who who are seen as second-class citizens is not the way God had it. He smashed that. Hospital. He hung out with sick people and he dealt with their sickness. People got healed around Jesus. And they went and lived abundant lives as a result. They were free from the things that held them back. And Jesus smashed those religious walls, both spiritually and relationally. He smashed them. We have a beautiful picture, a beautiful plan, a beautiful model, a beautiful opportunity. And it is good and it is right and it is the only good thing that we have. Your career path, your aspiration for a home, all these things have nothing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that we have to offer the world of any value. Everything else serves it. Everything else comes underneath it because it is the design of the creator for his creation. A good design for a good creation that we are capable of doing. We were made for this. I really love and appreciate what Sam led us through this morning because we often get stuck at a whole heap of things that stop us, both individually and corporately. The Bible says we're all like sheep and gone astray. Each of us has gone to his own way. Ba ba do ba ba. Isaiah 
<laughs> Sorry, some Colin Buchanan fans in the room. We're still a little bit like sheep and we sit here and we wait for someone else to move. If someone else does it, then maybe I'll follow. You have a commander-in-chief that's calling you. Do you wait for the soldier next to you to obey? Or do you say, yes, Lord, send me. You are my commander-in-chief. Do you wait for someone to invite you around for a meal before you feel like you belong? What is your measure of your value? What is your measure of, of your sense of worth, of significance, of belonging? What is the impact you're having on others and their sense of worth and significance and belonging? Sitting before us is a fantastic opportunity. But I'm sorry to say God is never going to take your choice away from you. That remains with you. I can never take your choice away. That remains with you. The church can never take your choice away. That remains with you. But you've got to choose. Famous words of Bob Dylan. Everybody's serving somebody. Can't remember the exact words, but everybody's serving somebody. You've got to choose. I think this is an exciting season for us as a church. I think God wants us to, and it's a buzzword I know, pivot, right? He wants us to shift our focus. And the focus shifts from us to God. The focus shifts from us to the world. And the focus shifts from us to our brothers and sisters. There's a pivot, there's a shift, there's a stirring. And I heard it in prayer on Tuesday night. A bunch of people who came there rugged up, ready for hospital, for army and for family. That made a choice. The choice was already made when we, when we stood there together because nobody was confused that the temperature was five degrees. But people went, I am going to sacrifice my comfort because I believe God's doing something. And I use that example. If you're not there, please, please don't say there's an in and an out. You've misunderstood what I'm saying here, if that's the case. Because I believe God is stirring something new. And I believe there's things in this room that are untapped. These nine areas, I believe God is stirring things that are dormant. I talked about at the start, fads that kids get into at school. And they were good things. They still are. Elastics are fun. 
There's a reason why they shared it. And I'm not here berating you. I'm saying this is, this is great. This is good news. There is something really fun to offer the world. There's something exciting. There's something life-giving to offer the world that we have the capacity, we have the plan, we have the, 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 the passion, I believe, in this room to multiply that in an amazing way. But what I've been convicted of this week, and maybe you too, I know Tan was, do you mind me sharing about Amsterdam? So, sorry, I'm going to get emotional because it's God moving. When Tan was 15, she read a book by a guy called Floyd McClung called Living on the Devil's Doorstep. And there's a guy who went to the red light district of Amsterdam and set up a YWAM base to share the good news of Jesus. They're celebrating 50 years this year. They have a building that has a sign that glows at night above the whole region. Lisa even said to Tan, why would you want to go to the red light district? You can see the sign from miles away. (laughs) It's not a nice place. And it says, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. But between 15 years old and now, life gets distracting. And not only did Tan have a beautiful opportunity to go and visit, we're talking about spiritual heroes, to visit the place of this spiritual hero, there was a work that God did in Tan saying, where's your love for the broken? Where's your heart for those that are far from me? I was reminded the same this week as I thought about stories that represented this in my life. It's really sad to talk about a Fiji trip years ago. It's really sad to talk about being a young adult going on coffee shop missions. Because I don't have a story from the last few weeks. And that's sad. And you might be like me. And God might be going, hey, you know you're capable of this because you've been here. You've experienced these things. I have stirred in your heart and you have seen people's lives impacted and the invitation sent out and people responding to the invitation. You've gone and you have done amazing things for my kingdom, representing the gospel. But the challenges of life have clouded the things that I stirred in you. Maybe you're afraid and don't know what the next steps are. I don't know how to, God. I don't have a story like Matt of, of times gone by when, when you did amazing things. I think he has given us everything we need. 
every one of these nine pieces. It's not exclusive. There's plenty more. He's got more for us. But this is just a simple picture. I'd start with the invite part. Because that's on the receiving end first. Do you believe? Do you know the healer? Have you been baptised and committed yourself to him? Do you know the Holy Spirit's leading? Do you know what it is to be adopted into God's family? Because if you haven't experienced that, then I want to offer that to you because God's offering it to you. And when you know that, your world turns upside down and is changed for the good because your eyes are open to God's good design, his good plan and purpose, and then you start again from the top and you say, Lord, I've got something so good I need to initiate here. I can't sit here on a Sunday and walk out the door and pretend that the rest of the week is okay because when I experience you, I am compelled. I'm passionately delighted to initiate and bring impact. We have choices to make. I'm just going to pray. Lord God, we come to you as a good father. Lord, I thank you so much for your embrace. I thank you so much that you have called us. You have initiated. You have had such an impact in our hearts, Lord God, that we are forever changed. I thank you, Lord, for your practice. That means we can call you Daddy. That means that we are provided for. That means that we are healed. Lord, we have such, such good news. Lord, we carry such a precious gift. And I thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. Lord, I thank you for your challenge this morning, Lord God, in my life, in each of our lives, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you have called us to purpose. But Lord, I confess that that's not always our experience. Lord, I pray you would continue to stir in each of our hearts, Lord God, as we reflect on these nine areas. And, and Lord, we don't want to be people that are just hearers of the word and not doers of the world, little God. Lord, when you speak, we want to respond because it is good and right. Lord, stir in us, Lord. Lead us to be people of action. Action that reflects your heart. 
action that reflects your love and your good purpose. Lord, I pray that you would activate those dormant gifts right now. Lord, I pray you would stir those things, Lord, especially for ones, Lord, that have experienced them in the past. Lord, I pray that right now that your spirit would bring breath. Fan the flame, Lord God. Lord, we just pray that you would activate those gifts, those passions, those abilities. Lord, for those ones that have had an impact and can see you stirring again, Lord God, Lord, I pray that you would bring passion back into our hearts, Lord God. Lord, I pray you would bring compassion back into our hearts, Lord God. To see, to value, to love the other, Lord God, those outside. And Lord, for those that don't know what it looks like, Lord God, I pray for spiritual mums and dads in this house, Father. I pray that you would raise up spiritual mums and dads that love you and love to see people grow to maturity, to teach and to train to pull alongside, Lord God, and to demonstrate. Lord, I pray that this would be a healthy family. Where maturity is not just hoped for, Lord, but maturity is assumed because healthy things grow. Lord, I just pray your spirit would be our strength. We invite you to move in power right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at hello at hoperevolution.church.